I'm Avery Smith of the Rock Candy Podcast Network, and you're listening to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. The topic I'm introducing in this episode blends some of my deepest passions. It's the intersections between disability and transness, between ableism and transphobia, both in our world at large and within faith communities in particular. Of course, this kind of discussion can be held for all manner of intersecting identities, and I am indebted to countless incredible scholars and activists for their insights, some of which I've shared in previous episodes of this podcast. See especially episode 23, As If Their Battle Were My Own, Solidarity in Current Protests Against Anti-Blackness, and episode 27, Helping Each Other Be Whole, Trans Insights into Intersectionality and Solidarity. But for this series of episodes, I want to narrow the discussion of interlinked oppressions to just the trans community and the disability community, with the hopes that you, like me, will recognize just how much these two groups in particular have in common and just how much they have to gain by collaborating against shared oppressors for their respective rights. And oh my gosh, I have been so excited to talk about this topic, and yet I really struggled to put this episode together. I think that's mainly because there is so much ground I want to cover, and also that I'm struggling to articulate everything I want to say in a way that makes sense and doesn't get too academic. I've been gathering resources and reflecting and preparing for this episode for literal months now and I still find myself near the publication date without all my thoughts in order. But I'm going to cut myself a little slack, and hope that you will too, because this is such a huge topic, and honestly, it will probably be easier to absorb in smaller increments anyway, especially because this episode is more academic in tone than I usually am on this show. If that's not your thing, don't worry. Next episode, we'll get back to the usual, more laid-back format. So anyway, this episode is only going to brush upon a couple facets of the overall topic, with much more to come. For today, I'll be focusing on why I'm so interested in the interconnections between transness and disability, and presenting a concept I uncovered in my research that I'm still mulling over but find fascinating. That being that ableism is a core component of other kinds of oppression, including transphobic oppression, and therefore we cannot hope to uproot transphobia without also tackling ableism. Stay tuned for future episodes with deeper dives into the shared history between the disability community and the trans community, as well as similar legal battles faced by the two groups and also for musings on why the same scriptures that many trans persons find affirmation in are also sources of affirmation for disabled persons. I'm also hoping to expand this conversation beyond my own Christian scope whenever possible, 
So if you are a disabled person of a different faith background, even if you're cisgender, reach out to me. I would love to have your insight on the show because I'll be info dumping about a lot of stories from the Christian Bible that can be read through both a trans and disabled lens, but I won't pretend to know of such stories in other people's holy texts or how disability is understood among different religions. So send me an email at queerlychristian36 at gmail.com if you would like to come on the show or want to share your thoughts textually for me to read on your behalf, or even if you just have resource suggestions for me. With all that said, let's get started, right after I share another wonderful show on the Rock Candy Podcast Network with you. Hi, I'm Liam Hooper. And I'm Peterson Toscano. Together, we co-host the Bible Bash Podcast. Each month, we look into a different ancient story. We're curious to find insights into our own queer lives. We discuss these and share our findings with you. You can find the Bible Bash Podcast pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out at the end of each month. So, the fact that you're listening to this podcast means that you are probably either a trans person of faith yourself, or that you care about trans persons of faith. So just in case the fact that they're fellow human beings and all isn't enough, let me tell you why you should also care about persons with disabilities. Of course, it isn't so unlikely that you have a disability yourself. Depending on how a study chose to measure disability, one in five or even one in four people in the United States have some sort of disability, and statistics on a world population level are very similar. And it turns out, the percentage of trans persons who are also disabled is even higher than that. In the U.S. Trans Survey of 2015, 39% of trans respondents said that they had one or more disabilities. Heck, when I glance down the list of trans people I've interviewed for this podcast, the vast majority of them have some sort of disability. Many are, like myself, autistic or otherwise neurodivergent, or else have experienced disabling mental illness. Others have mobility impairments or chronic pain, and so on. To be in solidarity with them, you must become as informed about and invested in disability justice as trans justice. You must recognize that for many of us, how we experience our transness interacts with how we experience disability in one way or another. But there's more to this coupling of trans and disability issues than the fact that there are so many individuals who belong to both communities. There is also this idea I found in a 2016 blog post by the much-loved and now-deceased self-advocate Mel Baggs that transphobia is intrinsically tangled up with ableism. As they put it in the title of their post, there is ableism somewhere at the heart of your oppression, no matter what your oppression may be. The interactions between forms of oppression that I've been discussing, where, for instance, ableism and transphobia go together because disabled trans persons exist, is something that Mel Baggs calls horizontal oppression. Meanwhile, Baggs says that vertical oppression occurs when one form of oppression is embedded within another form. Baggs explains this idea using sexism and homophobia as an example, writing... 
Sexism and homophobia are connected vertically because sexism is embedded within homophobia. You can't have some of the core aspects of homophobia without also having sexism, because a large element of homophobia against gay men involves comparing them to women and applying many of the same sexist attitudes towards gay men that would normally be attributed to women. That's where you get the idea that there's something wrong with gay men because gay men are effeminate, possess feminine attributes, etc. They're first equated with women, and then degraded in ways that have to do with women. You can't have homophobia minus the sexism and have it take anything like a recognizable shape. It depends on sexism. That's the big difference between horizontal and vertical oppression. Another big difference is that horizontal oppression is symmetrical, but vertical oppression is not. Sexism is embedded in homophobia, but homophobia is not embedded in sexism." End quote. To bring Christianity into this discussion, we can certainly see how sexism is embedded within homophobia in how certain verses of the Bible have been translated. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9-10, through 10, for example, Paul lists out different kinds of people whom he claims will not inherit the kingdom of God. Among adulterers and thieves, he includes those whom the King James Bible, published in 1611, translates as effeminate and abusers of themselves with mankind. More modern versions of the Bible often opt for words like male prostitutes, homosexuals, those who practice homosexuality, perverts, and still the word effeminate. But let's look at the original Greek. The first of these words, malakoi, more literally means soft ones in the Greek. The root word appears elsewhere in the New Testament, including in Matthew 11 verse 8, to describe fine clothing. In a moral context, Matthew Vines of God and the Gay Christian argues this term was used by the Greek speakers of Paul's time to describe a lack of self-control, weakness, laziness, cowardice. In short, the word was an all-purpose insult for anything considered feminine. Vines goes on to note that in Greco-Roman culture, this term more often referred to men who succumbed to the charms of women because fixating too much on romantic aspects of a relationship or allowing a female lover to influence your decisions was considered unmanly. Therefore, he explains, malakoi is generally translated in older versions of the Bible as effeminate rather than homosexual. It's about being a man who acts too much like a woman, and it's only in our later times that we've decided that a man who acts like a woman equals a gay dude. We can see both in the original Greek meaning of this word and English translators' decisions to equate effeminacy with homosexuality that softness was considered a feminine weakness, and thus that connecting it to gay men demonstrates the sexism embedded within homophobia both in ancient times and today. The second word commonly interpreted to involve homosexuality in this verse is the Greek word arsenokoitai, which is also used in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. This word is harder to translate accurately because it appears very infrequently in any Greek writings that we still have access to. The word may, in fact, have been coined by Paul and is a compound word combining arson, male, and koites, 
the term for bed most often used when a sexual connotation is intended. Thus, the usual interpretation of this word is men who sleep with other men. However, as Matthew Vines relates, the few examples of this word that can be found in later Greek texts indicate that it most often referred to economic exploitation, not same-sex behavior. This is why it is sometimes translated as male prostitutes. Overall, it focuses on any man who takes the so-called passive or receptive role in sex. And why is that so bad? Why? Because it feminizes men. Again, we see the sexism embedded in homophobia. Men who behave like women, people of long ago and today often believe, are shameful or even sinful. To bring this conversation back to disability, we can dig deeper into both homophobia and sexism and find that ableism is embedded in both. Homosexuality has long been pathologized, studied as a mental illness or disorder, and treatments like conversion therapy have been developed to treat it as such. That's ableism. Meanwhile, from at least the time of Aristotle back in the 4th century BCE, women have been conceived of in many ways as defective men. In our own time, one way this belief manifests is in the fact that most medical testing is done on men first, and white men at that, and women only as an afterthought, if at all. Now let's dig into transphobia in this same way, to see where ableism is embedded there. I'll start with one of the heaviest instances, eugenics. Returning to Mel Baggs's article, Baggs writes, Anytime you deal with eugenics, you're dealing with ableism, whether you're dealing with pure eugenics, aimed at disabled people in particular, or the more common situation where it's intermingled with race, class, ethnicity, criminality, and other real and purported traits. You're probably used to hearing of eugenics in terms of racism, classism, or anti-Semitism, but eugenics originated in ideas about disabled people, and those ideas were then applied to all these other groups." End quote. Eugenics is something that many trans persons face, most often in the form of coerced sterilization. As Sylvie Vale writes in Forced and Coerced Sterilization, The Nightmare of Transgender and Intersex Individuals, Many countries, including more than 30 European countries, require that a trans person agree to sterilization in order to legally change their name and gender. This includes requiring sex reassignment surgery, which not all trans persons want. In Reproducing Eugenics, Reproducing While Trans, A.J. Loewick connects the coerced sterilization of trans persons today by arguing that historical eugenic logics concerned with normative notions of sex, gender, and sexuality linger in the laws regarding trans people's legal gender recognition. Loic thus calls for legal gender recognition based on self-determination, where giving up one's reproductive capacity is no longer a requirement, all the while recognizing that trans people are parents, desire parenthood, and are not inherently bad parents simply because of their non-normative gender identities or expressions. End quote. Another way that ableism is embedded in transphobia is in the pathologization of transness. As Mel Baggs writes, any time one group of people is considered biologically or psychologically inferior to another group of people and unequal treatment or oppression is justified on that basis, you're dealing with ableism. 
Transness has long been studied as a mental disorder, and is still considered one by many today. Indeed, it is very hard for trans folks to access whatever medical and legal resources they need without first getting a diagnosis of gender dysphoria. We have to accept being pathologized in order to get what we need. And sometimes it's not affirming surgeries and treatments we receive when transness is pathologized. Instead, it's conversion therapies, also called reparative therapies. When transness is perceived as a disability, and disability is perceived as brokenness, the logical step is to fix or cure the trans individual. When we bring religion into the discussion, one thing we find is what Christian psychologist Mark Yarhouse described in 2015 as the disability framework for understanding transness. For Christians, this framework centers around the idea that after the fall of humanity through Adam and Eve, we live in a fallen world, of which things like disabilities are symptoms. Rather than affirming that trans persons are the gender they say they are, those like Yarhouse who hold to this disability framework believe that they are simply struggling with a mental condition. This means that they should be treated with compassion because they are victims of original sin like everybody else, but it is still an incredibly painful and harmful view of being trans. And it's a form of transphobia embedded in ableism, wherein trans persons are forced into therapies or other forms of treatment for their supposed disorder, or ostracized if they refuse. I want to be careful to emphasize here that the main harm in considering transness a disability or disorder is not that it's a bad thing to have a disability or disorder. Just as the issue with associating gay men with women is not a problem because women are inferior to men. One issue is simply that it's not true. Being trans is not a disorder, just as being a gay man does not make you a woman. The other, bigger issue is that when transness is pathologized, and thus trans persons are treated as disabled persons are, they are subjected to some of the same forms of ableism that the disability community must combat, which includes a stripping of humanity and agency. And that really sucks. But it also highlights just how desperately we need to fight for one another, with one another, because our battles truly are inextricably intertwined. To return to Mel Bagg's blog post, they write, When you have another form of oppression embedded within your own, you can't possibly address your own oppression without addressing the other. Your oppression would not be the same kind of oppression without that other oppression stuck very close to the center. If you're gay and you truly want to end homophobia forever, you can't get away from having to deal with sexism. You can't. And likewise, if you are trans and truly want to end transphobia forever, you must also fight against ableism. Transphobia will not go away if ableism doesn't. Bags continues, Once you start to see the basic patterns involved in ableism, you can see why it's behind core aspects of every other kind of oppression. Every form of oppression uses ableist ideas, actions, and concepts to further some of its most fundamental goals. You're going to always have your oppressed group being ranked in a hierarchy based on ability and found wanting you're going to always have your oppressed group face some degree of medicalization. 
you're going to always have your oppressed group treated in ways that disabled people are treated, and the same sorts of reasons used to justify such treatment. And unless you address these things, you can't address the way your oppression plays out. They happen in areas too central to how the oppression works. You can't pretend that ableism doesn't exist and get rid of the whole oppression at the same time. Your form of oppression would be unrecognizable without ableism as a core feature. So, how do we recognize how ableism plays into transphobia? And what do we do about it? The best thing we can do, according to Bags, is to seek the insight and collaboration of disabled persons, whether they are trans themselves or not. When we as a trans community seek to combat pathologization and coerced medicalization, we should look to the arguments and actions already made by people with mental disabilities and disorders. When we fight for bathrooms that are safe and accessible to trans persons, why not team up with advocates of disability-accessible bathrooms, sharing strategies and gaining strength in numbers? And faith communities, what if we combined forces to demand an end to language and prayers and songs that invalidates or excludes disabled persons and non-binary persons? What do you think, y'all? How else can we join together to confront and uproot ableism and transphobia, both within faith communities and in the wider world? And what do you think of this idea that ableism is embedded within just about any other form of oppression you can think of, including transphobia? Does it ring true to you, or would you push back a bit? What other forms of oppression do you believe are embedded within transphobia? I want to close by emphasizing, once again, that above all else, the reason we should take up the battles of those whose marginalization we do not share is not for self-serving reasons, but because they are our fellow human beings of equal dignity and worth. As Frederick Douglass put it, when I ran away from slavery, it was for myself. When I advocated emancipation, it was for my people. But when I stood up for the rights of women, self was out of the question, and I found a little nobility in the act. Even so, it is powerful and vital to take note of how our struggles are entangled in one another, how we truly are interdependent upon one another. In light of this truth, I want to close with a reading from 1 Corinthians 12 that resonates deeply with me as a trans person and as a disabled person. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, because of that, is it not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, because of that, is it not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now indeed, there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. In fact, those members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If a member is given honor, all the members rejoice together. That's it for now, y'all. 
Sorry this was such an academic episode. Please do tell me if there was anything that didn't make sense to you, or that you would argue with, or that you would expand upon. You can reach me at queerlychristian36 at gmail.com. I'll see you all at the end of March with an interview from a really cool Australian Catholic art historian who told me some truly fascinating things about art history and queerness. I had a ton of fun. In the meantime, take care of one another. Go break some binaries and be a blessing to the world with your life. Thank you.